Hey there, hi there, ho there, and welcome to Al Frisco, the SF podcast, a production of the San Francisco Cultural History Museum. I'm your producer and host, Kevin Hunsanger, and in this very special episode, we're celebrating the release of Spirits of San Francisco by Gary Camilla and Paul Madonna, a no doubt about it instant classic of art and history. Join Gary, Paul, and myself as we stroll and discuss the most unique stretch in the city that you've probably never heard of, Choice Street. Our interview tour encompasses three universes and three blocks and offers unique insights into the creative processes of two of San Francisco's most respected and admired creators. So sit back, relax, and let Al Frisco sweep you away into the city by the bay for a romp that you won't soon forget. So this is where it started. We're at the steps of uh, Joy Street. Very dramatic. And uh, you were just beginning to tell me this, uh, this is uh, not the first collaboration that you two have worked on together, The Spirits of San Francisco, the forthcoming book. Yeah, it was our first collaboration, actually. This specific this, location. This book, the, the book was, and the Knob Hill Gazette, uh, which preceded the book, uh, we had always, we'd wanted to work together ever since Cool Gray City. We actually reached out to Paul. Uh, I wanted Paul to illustrate Cool Gray City, but he had too much on his plate to do it. And then we had already met at a party before and we talked about things and we always said, well, let's work together if we can, you know, sometime. And uh, Paul, you can take it from what happened with the, with the Knob Hill Gazette. I was doing a series in the Knob Hill Gazette for a few months that was historical based. And, uh, you know, I was doing these huge drawings and the research, the research was taking me longer than the drawings. And I was like, Man, after a while, I'm like, I can't do this work. This isn't my forte. And Gary and I had been talking about working together for years. And we uh, didn't know what it would be. Exactly. Really some fun thing because we really like each other's work. Yeah. And so we were talking about that. And then you got in touch because you we were like sick of doing all this massive amount of research required for the, it was called the quotable city. I did quotable right? city. The idea was that right. I was going to take these quotes from notable figures who had influence on the city and then draw over the over history and then draw locations and put one of their quotes. Well, it turns out, you know, that's hard to, to find like something that has is a gem. So, but I, at the same time, I thought I'm not going to call Gary up and just say, Hey, do you want to do a monthly with me? So the idea was let's do this monthly series that is really a book project also. And so, you know, and we lost the quotable thing. We right, just, right. We, we redefined it. We, made it we totally, totally redefined it. We just said it's whatever Reese or whatever interesting things that I find and that together we find a site that speaks to both of us. That's what we'll do. And there's no real definition of it beyond that. And it's going to be fairly short. I mean, the, the pieces in the Knob Hill Gazette don't, can't be more than about four or 500 words, gotcha. sometimes less. So it was pretty short, but, but longer than the quotable city. Exactly. Thing, and right? also, I thought, you know, if I'm inviting Gary uh, to be a collaborator, you know, equal partners, he should bring to it what he wants to bring to it and how he wants to bring it, because that's what we want. We want Gary's voice to do what Gary does best. I don't want Gary coming to me and being like, I want you to draw this way. Yeah, you know, right. I, Right. I wouldn't let you, I want right. to do that to him. Right. So I invite him to my studio and uh, I put up one of my big drawings, which was uh, from Tin Hao Temple of looking right. at Telegraph Hill. Yeah. And uh, the first thing Gary does is he goes over and he starts pointing to like random spots, not random, for, well, yeah. not random for him, but spots in the drawing. And he just starts telling me stories. He's like, oh, and this street here and this here. And I was like, already you have written more pieces than I have in the past six months, and you did it by just walking in and looking at this drawing. 
And I was like, exactly, get somebody who knows what the hell they're doing. Uh, and um, I mean, I think from then on, it was, it was just like, it, you know, it was like being on an icy hill. It was just like, you just went straight down yeah. gracefully. And, uh, and we figured it out. You know, we would meet at coffee shops and take walks around the city. Yeah, we drove, we did a couple big driving trips. It was super oh, fun. We drove way down on the waterfront. We were like breaking into places where we weren't supposed to be, oh, going on to abandoned piers. Hey, you kids! No, I know. It's, like, it's, the, it's the virtues of being relatively, you know, older and respectable looking. You can get away with a yeah. lot if you just walk in. Yeah. Especially if you're carrying a clipboard, you know, you're gonna right. wear like a white, you know, a white suit and a clipboard, and you can go anywhere. You know? Yeah, that's right. It, uh, although we did get, the, we kind of got the bums rush. I, was it down at Pierce, Pierce seventy or something? Yeah, we got surrounded by a bunch yeah. of heavies and hard hats who yeah, were right. uh, kind what of flexing a bit yeah, yeah, like... right. <laughs> <laughs> yeah so uh... that experience of working for the gazette yeah. isn't uh is unusual for for normal book projects because a book project you collaborate and you do the whole thing together at once right. uh and whereas here in the gazette we got to make one piece at a time yeah. and look at it and say how's that working and got to tweak and really figure out, like Gary, I think you found the form. Yeah. And Gary had to write for two forms. Yeah. He had to write for the Gazette and he had to write for the book. Right. And I think that you really quickly found how to do both at the same right. time. Yeah. And I got and I was figuring out like how do my drawings resound with Gary's stories? And so that back and forth was really amazing. Yeah. And uh, Paul, do you refresh my memory? Did we scout this, or was this one that had you already drawn? No, this I wanted. I kept pushing. I wanted right. this to be the first right. one. Yeah, yeah. And I knew this street well because a very good friend of mine lived in that apartment right there. I had always noticed this, and this was a great synchronicity between Paul and me because, as you can see, I mean, this is such an amazingly monumental elegant wide set of steps yeah. and then for me as like a kind of urban nut like the fact that it's right here that it's like half a block from powell and pine yeah. is so weird and that it also that it connects down with dashiell hammett place the old monroe here i mean this is deep san francisco this is like this uh, you know i'd say in the book this is the lower knob hill historic apartment district which has this, you know, this sort of Dashiell Hammett 20s. They're all built in the 20s and 30s. Sure. And uh, so the, to find these steps here, when Paul, you know, obviously you can see why he wanted to draw it. And it was a complete home run for me because it's just a magical, unique place in the city. And then when you walk this street, it transforms and each one of its three blocks is completely different and, and different in like kind of mind boggling ways. So well, that was fun. Yeah. Uh, yeah, so here now we can so. start to see the big, you know, in the, in the book and in the Nob Hill Gazette, I think the title of the drawing uh, is the uh, uh, Joy Street, three universes in three blocks. Exactly, I wanted to touch yeah. on that. So. And from, the, from this top, we're now at the top of this little hill comes up from Pine. This is actually kind of a little crest of part of the shoulder of, of Knob Hill. And you can see now down into the, uh, the, you can see some of the other universes appearing because even the apartment building that's across California Street there is already a very elegant, nice apartment building. That's like California Street was the famous avenue of the robber barons uh -huh. and you know one half block up was Leland Stanford's mansion which was a ludicrous palace and there was one ludicrous palace after the next they vied with each other 
it was total bling, you know, it's architectural bling. And they just, this was like the status flaunting center of like the Western hemisphere. So for this little alley to come through these kind of ordinary apartment buildings and then run into what was this absolute, you know, ostentatious promenade of gazillionaires is really cool. And then as soon as you cross it, then you drop into Chinatown. Mm -hmm. and, and it gets from being really elegant on California Street, it goes to the opposite of elegant in like yards. Sure. <laughs> and then it gets deep into Chinatown. Yeah, yeah. So the, the, it's just a, you know, it, it, the, the fact that it changes so radically in such a short period of time uh, gives it a great urban charge. You know, it's this kind of thing, the streets, really special streets do that. And they just, they're just kind of mind blowing because the, it's almost hallucinatory. You know, you're like, Where, what universe am I in? And I just changed in a few seconds, mm -hmm. not in a few blocks. You know, you, you change it within a half a block, so it's great. And the hallucinatory feel of that reminds me a little bit of your work, the way you stack up things and the way you get these, these really curious vantage points and, and angles. And, and, uh, and I can really see this stretch appealing to you. Uh, really, to me, uh, it epitomizes your work. Uh, you know, so many different elements coming together in one really unique feeling, toneful piece. Uh, this must have been a lot of fun when the two of you kind of had the idea to put this together. Uh, did you choose this location initially for you? Uh, how did that ball get rolling? Well, I really wanted to do Joy Street because mm -hmm. I, I don't like using the word discover, but I, I felt like I did discover it a little bit after so many years of drawing all over coffee. And I'm like, how did I never see those stairs? Yeah, right. And and that sort of blew me away that I could be here for 20 plus years do a thousand drawings of the city and still not know something right. and so i was like gary i really want to do i want to i want to draw these stairs and that's when he he was like oh well let me tell no you about these yeah. <laughs> and then but then there's this the right. second part of it which is the what i got to learn because yeah. while i saw the beauty and saw this what i consider a discovery then there was the oh my like all of these stories that gary are telling is telling us right now and more and then, so that really helped in my appreciation of it. And that's why starting with that first drawing of we're standing at the bottom of the steps, looking up, here we go. We're going up into an adventure. We're going mm -hmm. into something. Yes. And so, it shows very carefully, like every artist or writer does, like what you open with. Of uh, The great jazz violinist Stefan Grappelli once said, all that matters is how you open and you finish. And yeah. you know, nobody pays attention to the rest. So it was really important. What's the opener in the book? And I think this was the perfect opener because it's a perfect combination. It is literally like a magic stairs. So yeah. it's kind of a good metaphor for the book that way. But it also, it's a combination of that elegance, but kind of, but weirdness and funkiness, which I think both Paul and I, we like that combination. You know, like it's, it's beautiful, but it's not just postcard beautiful. Right. It's, it's got some real character and some unexpected, quirky, odd things about it. It's and so, very San Francisco. It's very San Francisco. It's very San Francisco, yeah. and it's an area in San Francisco that I knew nothing about until I read your book. I, I literally yeah. never knew about Joyce no, Street. And, you know, as one of the great things is Pine Street is the main Western arterial in downtown San Francisco. That's like, you want to get out of downtown, you're going on Pine. So there's thousands of cars a day barreling down that street. And how many of them have ever even noticed this strange wide steps right before Powell which is the most iconic 
famous. It's got the cable cars, for right. Christ's sakes, going down. And the cable car started here in this vicinity. Now, it wasn't on Joy Street, but it was... Clay. Clay. It was a Clay. Yeah. Clay so. Jones was yeah. where the first run was made. And that's part of the story, too. Yeah. Yeah. In the book, we, I, I go into that. We don't have to necessarily talk about that a whole lot now. But it, this is one of the stories, one of the things that I wanted to do in the book was any location you bring in any story could be a pretty peripheral connection that's one of the joys of a city is that he it's like you know seven degrees of separation in a way and this is right by well, the, the california street cable car line mm -hmm. and this hill this that the street is on was the, it was called the clay street hill yeah. or the or fern hill and this is where the uh, the, the great audacious crazy experiment which everyone thought would fail completely come yeah. crazy idea like you're going to run wires underground and carry big heavy cars up these hills with 19 degree slopes and people like laughed at that and the first the initial test run right wasn't the original driver he got freaked out and he yeah. ba he bailed huh? yeah the, the guy was an old train engineer this up at, at clay and jones which is insanely steep and it was early in the morning and it was totally foggy and he was already doing it and he looked down to Taylor Street. It's like a 20% grade. He looks down there and he's like, no, no, <laughs> no this is crazy. I don't have faith. And, and Halliday, this you know, son of a Scottish immigrant, total drop dead, just ironclad, brilliant engineer who had, you know, he designed this whole thing by having uh, a endless ropeway of iron cables to carry of cars carrying ore for mines in the air. And he had designed all that. And you know, these things were like bundles of wire with crazy tensile strength per square inch. I mean, he knew it wasn't gonna break. Mm -hmm. So he's like, oh, you don't wanna do it? Okay, no problem. He steps in and he goes down, turns around, comes back up. Then I love the fact that he's such a classic 19th century engineer that at the end, he writes in his journal, it's like, when we were done, we just shook hands and had a drink of cold water. You know, I, like I think it was like six in the morning, so it would have been, you know. But then they later they did the revenue run, which was this legal requirement that they had to do for, for it to be a legal uh, city transportation system. There's a lovely story where it's all men, of course, you know, all men are on the, on the cars and women. And this one wonderful woman, young woman, who on her name lost to history. She like is running along after the cable car and it's too crowded, she can't get on. But finally, some chivalrous man let her onto the car and she fishes out a nickel, uh, puts it into the slot and she's now off. The rest of my life, I'll know that I was the first woman to ride the cable cars. <laughs> it's a great, great little story. Yeah, it is. And then they, then they drank. And the whole, and then, city, <laughs> then the whole city <laughs> Yeah. Well, and that's what started the whole Knob Hill explosion, yeah, no, and right? It opened, and it, that's why the uh, ritzy houses on top of Knob Hill got there before they were all living down by South Park and Rincon Hill. Mm -hmm. And then in the 1870s, when the cable cars came in, it became possible to live up here because before you could barely even sure. walk up here. Sure. You could barely get a horse to go up here because the winds were always blowing and it was sandy. Mm -hmm. Like the horses didn't even want to face west. So yeah. it was really, it's hard to believe how hard it was just to get up these hills. Yeah. And in fact, that's a story I tell in the book. Now, a murderer got caught because of this terrain. Mm -hmm. This guy named James Stewart, had, he was a wanted murderer, but he was well-dressed, very plausible looking and he was walking from the mission to North Beach, but he didn't want anyone to see him. So he walked over Knob Hill 
<laughs> and some, some people were looking for another criminal up here and they came upon him in the scrub brush, probably right near where we're standing. And uh, he was like very well dressed, like, why are you, why are you detaining me? And they're like, well, what are you doing why up are here? You here? Why are you here? <laughs> Any normal person would never cross this sandy wilderness of Knob Hill. They'd go down by Kearney Street, come with us. Yeah. <laughs> and then later he was hanged. <laughs> so, oh, gosh. <laughs> So do you have any architectural uh, favorites along Joyce Street? Uh, do I, um, other than the stairs, I mean, these, these two buildings that we're coming upon, I mean, they, they kind of, they're, they seem like sisters to me with their round turrets. Yeah. Uh, and the facade on this building on the right, this sort of really simple, simple, almost, I don't even know, it's kind of like a deco swirl, but I know it's before, yeah. it's, it's, a, it's well, not a, a deco that's era. That's a very odd swirl. Yeah, and it's really simplistic. The, the rooftop. On, the rooftop, yeah. yeah. And then the sort of sawtooth uh, beneath the windows, uh, that's sort of, they're yeah. just like, that's, mm -hmm. it's all, yeah, those, those look like little castle things. Yeah, they're, they're so really, that's, that's odd. And then even the, the top two ends, the corner pieces have the little roofs on them. They're sort of, it's almost like a, uh, it's, oh, a, see as we come it's like a Norwegian type of architecture. So and this there. building right here is so interesting. Look at the shadow coming off in the light well. Ah, yes. That shape. You were talking about how the hallucinatory, it's those shapes that I really focus on because that's such an, that shadow is so interesting. Like I'll look at this building and I'll see all these beautiful architectural details and then I'll see that shadow and I say, I want to draw it. Yeah. That's mm -hmm. why I want to draw that building because the shape of the architecture is what's making it. And it's almost like this, uh, it's like when you cut uh, out a bunch of stickers from a piece of paper and then what you're left with is the negative space in the, yeah. in the paper. Yeah. And that's almost more interesting because yeah. it's all these uh, almost like a clay type of uh, type painting shapes. I realized how sensitive Paul was to light and shadow when uh, we were gonna do a Victorian house. And I, I wanted to do this really strange one. It's way over in Eureka Valley on Caselli Street called Nobby Clark's Folly. And I was all excited about it. And Paul went and looked at it and scouted it and took all his reference photos. And he came back and he goes, I can't do it, Gary. The light only hits it directly from the south. There's no shadows and I can't draw it. And I realized, you know, that's what real artists do. You know, if you're a plain air painter. Uh -huh. You can't just say, oh, uh, I'll pretend there's some shadows on it. You know, you don't you don't feel it. Then. And the shadows are ever changing. So yes. if you walk by here at 11 in the morning, you would never see that shadow exactly. and you would never know that, you know, you'd never catch that splendor. There's a serendipitous, you know, aspect of walking through the city. Right. and discovering these 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 moments in time that are ever changing that really do right. set set the architecture off and set the place off well that's a to point uh with the story gary was telling is that uh, i have done a lot of scouting where i'll say okay i, I might have shown up at 10 a.m but i have to come back at 3 p.m or sometimes i'm like you know i there's only light i i did a series of pieces from downtown san francisco like in financial district where there was literally one month that this building had some light on it because it was such a narrow window mm -hmm. like one month right. of the year right. at like 4 p.m to 4 to 5 p.m and you got to find it and i i went to look at uh the uh Nobby clark folly and i was like gary it'll never hit 
the yeah. front of the yeah. building. Yeah. Like, I can draw it, it'll just be a boring drawing. Right. So, yeah. sorry, we gotta find another Victorian. And you can't just make up shadows. No. <laughs> well, you, you can, I just don't <laughs> want to. Don't want yeah, yeah. Yeah, it wouldn't yeah. be yeah. right. Yeah, That's yeah, like sure. Photoshopping something. Right, right. <laughs> now, this is the second time you've mentioned a folly. Uh, the steps, you know, you, you mentioned, uh, oh, the, the, the cable car is a yeah. folly. Uh, you were just mentioning a folly. Also in the book, you had talked about Moybridge's uh, uh, folly, the, not Moybridge, but uh, Maybach's folly. The you know oh, oh, which yeah. is which right. is a legit that's, that's a legitimate a literal that folly which is the architectural genre I wasn't aware folly. of that term either yeah. until I read the book which is a fascinating uh, uh, notion great, maybe you could tell us a little bit about that the, yeah the yeah well so the uh, so a folly an architectural folly is it's it's a it's a playful it's somewhere between architecture and sculpture and stage set it partakes of all of them. So that uh, they're the most famous folly is one in the in uh, forest in in France. Mm -hmm. It's called uh, Le Désert de Retz, and the most and it has about at one time it had about eighteen intentionally designed eighteenth century built in the eighteenth century ruined fantastical structures, and they're like almost science fiction sets. And the, uh, there's one that was like an enormous foot. You know, so it's 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 really they're really creepy, mm -hmm. and there's there's a there's a house that's a broken off column, so that the, you know you can go into it, and it was actually a house, but it looks like a colossal ruined column, and there's something quite disquieting about about th that folly. Yeah. The palace is actually a really benign kind of folly because it actually really does look like a temple. So yes. it doesn't have that stage set quality. It could actually be like a legitimate building, albeit a very strange one. Yes. Strange because it incorporates many different uh, eras of architecture, right. but then none at all, right? right. Well, what it reminds you of is like in the background of Renaissance paintings, they'll often, the artists will throw in these classical motifs just because they loved classical motifs. Okay. And it's the Renaissance, so they're obsessed with everything classical. But they're kind of nonsensical. Yes. They're like huge, big, you know, uh, you know, Corinthian columns standing out in the middle of nowhere, or like big temples that don't really make any sense. And that, that's the Palace of Fine Arts is kind of like that. Yeah. So, but it's and it's again, it's just it was a great one for Paul because it, you know, it's just stunningly visually overwhelming and really extraordinary work uh, on that you know in the book there so now again these are these are pieces that you have been working on over the years that have just found their way into this collection uh did you do anything unique for this book no the majority of the work was done yeah. for the oh, book with okay. gary well, I guess a couple just i think we used video. two pieces well, okay. from okay. quotable and um yeah. and what i was doing there was you know, I, I had drawn like things that I had always wanted to draw that were almost too iconic for me okay. in the past. I was like, all right, I'm just going to go straight into the storm with these. Right. And, uh, and with those two, uh, you know, we looked at a handful of the drawings I had made for Quotable and a lot of them just didn't work with the MO that we were going for. But those two did. Yeah. And Gary said, I can write pieces for those. But for the most part, everything we made was new. And, and I think that's important. You talked about the perspective. Mm -hmm. that I take and sort of the, the, you know, the angles. And, you know, I do think that I have my own compositional 
uh, signature, you could say. Very much but, so. but it really is, it's like uh, you can have a good camera person mm -hmm. or a good director, but they'll still shoot the film differently based on the script. Mm -hmm. And that's what I was doing, you know, I was shooting for the script. And, and again, we were working in collaboration of, mm -hmm. of writing this as we went. And so again, we'd, we'd settle on a site Gary would tell me sort of the aim of his stories. And there were several pieces that we did where Gary's like, well, but you know, if you take that view, it's not really in relation yeah. to what South, I'm doing. South Park is one I really remember. South Park I, was sort of our hardest one to yeah, do. But I think you found a building and that worked for you to draw with the trees and the shadow, but it was also a building that had great history from South Park. So that, you know, that was, it was a nice uh, finding something that worked for both. Kind of cool because like we were talking about crazy architecture oh, wow, i mean those are really you know fa fantastic because they're also the thing i like about that is it's like this amazing sort of gothic you know it's very high but it's also even though it's elegant and they're probably very expensive it's not totally well maintained you know it's no, a little no, funky yeah. Yeah. Uh, and the uh then sadly that oh god this new thing this oh, thing yeah. just went up that's so bad that was the great vacant lot forever. Uh -huh. That was the great anomalous vacant lot on the corner of California and Powell. And they just put that damn thing in, which is a shame. But Wait, there, there we go. But there, then there's that little kiosk. Right. And that's a great uh, San, only in San Francisco thing. That's the only place in the entire cable car system where there's a manually controlled crossing because the, the two lines cross there. This is the California Street line, which just runs one way down and one way back. Uh -huh. And then both the Hyde Street and the Mason Street lines cross it on Powell. And because of the nature of how the cars interact, they can't automate it. Right. Um, and so they have to have a human being sitting in there controlling that they, so they don't run into each other. And uh, so that's just a great little thing that's there, that little kiosk, and you'll see some you know muni employee you know yeah. sitting in there reading his paper or whatever john law one day yeah right exactly <laughs> but yeah this is you you know the twins armoire the big hotels these big multi-million dollar condos and this so you this, and here's our funny little joy street yeah with its steep little hump and this you know really excellent art decoy building here um, you know, so there's just, uh, it's a, it's, there's a, a, both an elegance and a motliness and, you know, it's all, it all comes together here and then it just totally changes in this next block. Let's take a walk. Let's keep it walking. Yeah. Now, you know, you mentioned the three universes of Joy Street. Yeah. Uh, it also had three different names, right? Wasn't each block individually named? Yeah, that's right. In the early days, it's been Joyce for quite a while. Um, but yeah, there was, um, the one block, one block was called Prospect Place, and uh, well, I can't even remember all the names that it had. But Buena yeah, Vista, I remember, Buena was Vista, one of them. Buena Vista, Prospect Place, and maybe one was named Joyce, mm -hmm. and then they all became Joyce. But uh, yeah, we're just suddenly, you know, now moving into a, you know, we're now on the edge of Chinatown. Um, we're starting to, we're in the transition. This is a transition block between Knob Hill and Chinatown. And of course, many, uh, Chinatown is now kind of an amorphous concept because Chinese people began to move out of Chinatown proper, really starting right after World War II. Uh -huh. So it could easily be, this looks like probably, might be a senior center. I and mean, here's an interesting, interesting building. 
It has a, I wonder why it has all these no trespassing signs on it. Makes no, no, let's trespass and find out. Let's walk up and see. Yeah. Let's walk up and see. <laughs> and over, this is a, I'm not sure if that's a garage. I mean, there's parking under it, but what that is and why it's raised up that high. So it's, it relates to an entrance on, on California Street. Street level, and we're just way below California Street level. But what's odd is, is why they didn't uh, build anything below it. Right. Yeah, it's really. Or it's, two. <laughs> yeah, or three. Boy, Paul, this is this, this is almost a drawing. Look at that. <laughs> I'm like, how did we not notice this before? I know, because we walked down the street. I know. See, this is the thing. Every time, every time you go out, you find something new, and and that's the difference of, of consciously walking through the city and stopping and looking at the transition from building to building to building and realizing, wow, I've been down here a hundred times and I haven't seen that before. Yeah. Well, the connections that you both make throughout Spirits of San Francisco, uh, extraordinary. The great driving force of that book for me, and as someone who's interested in San Francisco yeah. history, I was amazed at how little I knew once I really got into it. So you guys did some deep dives, did some yeah. really good you know, research, and there's a lot of, you know, a lot of nuggets in there for, for okay. folks who, uh, who think they know it all. Right. You don't know it all. Okay. <laughs> this was a very, for me, this was like my geek book. Yeah. Uh -huh. <laughs> I, I geeked out in a big way. Yeah. It was like, let's, let's get really deep. Let's uh -huh. get really into it. Yeah. Let's burrow down even more than I did in Cool Gray City. Cool yeah. Gray City was a much higher altitude uh, airplane flight. Mm -hmm. This one's like buzzing over the top of the buildings. Yeah, very <laughs> so, uh, well put. Right. <laughs> and yeah, there's another great vista. That fantastic 450 Sutter, the Medico Dental Building, which is an incredible building. And I just love the fact that that looms up right over the other end of, the, of Joy Street. That's very cool. Paul, was there anything that you, uh, any, any, any of the locations in the book that you brought to the table? They were like, we have to do this. Oh, we were like half. I mean, it was yeah. fully I'd say it was half yeah. and half. Oh, I was yeah. also really open right. to being shown something new because mm -hmm. I, there's too often I, I find myself going back to the same sites or the same neighborhoods or, and you know, you, you, you can't see what you're not seeing mm -hmm. until uh -huh. you've got somebody to help point it out for you. And uh, that was, so I was really open, especially when we were driving and, uh, mm -hmm. and yeah, it's funny, Gary was driving. I was like, maybe I should be driving because the whole time he's like <laughs> slowing down, pointing out the window, looking here, looking there and telling stories the whole time. And I'm just the passenger. I'm like, I should at least be chauffeuring us yeah. if Gary's going to be pointing everything out. But um, that was the cool thing, like uh, Shipley Street, you yeah. know, just so awesome going there and just the stories. And it was just so visually like half the street is buried. The houses are half buried. I mean, there's just visually so you look at it and you're like, yeah, this is weird. Somebody <laughs> filled in the first two stories. Weird. It's yeah. And it's just so quickly. I was like, I can draw this. Yeah. Not a problem. Yeah. Like I can draw that. I can draw that. I can. Um, and so, uh, yes, I mean, there were things I brought to the table, yeah. but I, again, it was really just sort of a back and forth. And I think our egos weren't really in it that way. Like there was no, it didn't have to be my book, didn't have to be his mm -hmm. book. We were like, let's make something because mm -hmm. we both made things before. From the beginning, in every way, in, in uh, artistically, financially, uh, collaboratively, decision-making, this was just a full-on 
uh, equal partnership. Right. And once you and once you just know that and you basically really respect each other's work mm -hmm. and you're not assholes, you you've got the golden key to success. You know, you're just gonna it's just like like clockwork. Yeah. And, and but uh, the respect is the is the greatest thing. Like I mean, I just feel honored to work with an artist of Paul's caliber. It's fantastic. And right back at you. Yeah, so, absolutely. You know, yeah. That's it's uh, you know when you have that kind of mutual respect, you can't go wrong. Oh, absolutely. You know? Yeah, no, that comes across so beautifully in the book. I I, I didn't get a, a physical copy. I, I had to read it electronically in an electronic oh, yeah. galley. Right. Uh, so the images are there, but they're not. You know, I oh, can't right. wait to see the real book. Yeah. You yeah. know, uh, I just can't wait because it's got to just be stunning. Well, yeah. to, to further answer your question, mm -hmm. um, you know, you said you thought you knew San Francisco and you learned so much. You realized how much you didn't know. And there was a lot of that for me, too, mm -hmm. of just like, oh, even if I've seen the site, there's so much I don't know behind it, which mm -hmm. gives me an appreciation and, a, and an ability to see it in a new way or to even think about rendering it in a different way, because now I know something about its personality that mm -hmm. I didn't know before, mm -hmm. whereas I, previously I may have responded purely off of aesthetics, mm -hmm. whereas now I actually have some some character, some true character, historical character in which to reframe this and find a slightly different view. And that was I think exciting for me because I needed that mm -hmm. as well. I needed something to say, hey, again, like I needed a different script yeah. in which to figure out how to point my camera. So I think a lot of people have been, you know, over the last few years in San Francisco, maybe it's been starting to grind us down a little bit, you know, the, mm -hmm. whether the techies or the this or the that, uh, the disparity of income, yeah. the problems we touched on with the tenderloin, you know, the drugs, the homeless crisis. Um, <laughs> did you find, did you find uh, this to be a shot in the arm for you guys to, to, to renew your faith in San Francisco? If you had lost any to begin with, you know, has this given you a new appreciation for the city that you live in? It actually has shown me that uh, if I get tired of it, it really is my fault. Like it's there's so much here and that uh, that I still don't know. And um, and and the fact that I don't know it is my fault, not its fault. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Yeah. I think it is. Um, I'm not somebody that has gotten too bummed out um, about, you know, what's happened to the city. I sort of choose not to be. Mm -hmm. I can feel it lurking down there. I'll, I'll hear the young frat kids braying on the roof next to me and I can feel myself starting to get irritated and then I just basically go like don't go there yeah. like I don't want let anybody like bring me down from my city it's my choice mm. and as long as they aren't actively really messing up and they're mm. like dumb young kids like right. I was a dumb young kid too yes. so I've got a certain amount of tolerance for mm -hmm. stupidity mm -hmm. of young <laughs> drunken people yeah and you know it's like so I'm not totally, and all the other stuff you mentioned, of course, it's a, it's horrible homelessness it's a real and city. all that. But it's a city, and you know, it's the well income disparity and all that. But no, I think working in this book was uh, was a nice shot in the arm mm -hmm. uh, because you know, getting to see all these locations that I knew really well, Waverly Place mm -hmm. and Chinatown, and then seeing Paul's drawings of them, it is. It's like it brings a new, just like for he was saying that maybe my. Uh, historical research might bring a new, give him a new eye on it. His uh, his visual uh, take on these things gave me a new look at them. Right. So it, you sort of fall in love with it all over again, yeah. and that's you know really what we're trying to achieve. I think you know you know not to be too grandiose about it, but you know a book like this is in some ways a love letter, mm -hmm. uh, warts and all love letter to the city, and hopefully it'll inspire people that like the city or love the city or appreciate the city to 
like love it and like it and appreciate it even more. And if people that don't, maybe it's a good introduction to it. Yeah. So I think that every city, it's not just San Francisco. San Francisco happens to be especially beautiful and has yes. a lot of texture and a lot of complexity that not all American cities do. Right. But um, it's not unique, and I think you can you could do what we did with with any city, mm -hmm. and you can find beauty in, in any city really, mm -hmm. and find history and meaning. Yeah. So, uh, but it was, but it is sort of nice. To, San Francisco gives you kind of a head start. Well, it sure does, and it really it, it, it helped me a lot. I can tell you for uh, you know. God's truth. I was sheltered in place for months, you know, yeah. when this book, you know, when I got the advanced copy of it and I was just head over heels to begin. And it, it took me away. It took me out of my house and into my city again, a city that I hadn't had a chance to right. visit for months oh, that I had wow. been missing, you know, yeah. and, uh, and, it, and it put me here again. And then the idea of our taking this walk together just down this little three block mm. alley, um, it, it made me so excited. I, I just, yeah. I, you know, this has been a highlight, you know, and we've had to postpone a couple, three different right. times or four, yeah, right. you know, 2020 being yeah, what it is, you know? Yeah, you know, um, but every time was a real right. disappointment because I've been looking so forward yeah. to doing this and there's not a lot that's gonna get me out of the house these days, right. Right. you know, but yeah. but the opportunity to to walk this, this little three block stretch yeah. with you two guys and talk about this history and your book, um, it really, it's again, it's made me fall in love with the city oh, all over again. And so, yeah, 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 well, maybe in a way it's like right. a, more of a shot in the arm for everyone else. Mm -hmm. And right. that means that we did a good job, right? Like our, our right. love for the city and that's why we did it because mm -hmm. we both love it and, and right. we know about it enough that we wanted to give something. So, right. you know, in a way you're like, you're patient zero yeah. like, and you're yeah, saying right. in the good way yeah, sure. for the first time in 2020, that's yeah. a good phrase. Uh, <laughs> that, that you're right. saying like, hey, I, 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 I got a shot in the arm from it. Oh, yeah. So I like how your question then kind of answers itself in mm -hmm. a way. So that's good because we, we are successful then. No, right. in a way, you know, in some ways books like this, you could s describe it in that it falls in any kind, many genres. But in some ways it's a travel book. And it's a travel book that where you travel in your armchair. And, mm -hmm. and with COVID, a lot of people are traveling in their armchairs. And it's really important that you have things that will take you in your mind out of that armchair. Yeah. You really need it. Yeah. So um, if, that, if the book succeeds in doing that, that's, then, yeah. then yeah. I'm, I'm happy. You know, A plus. Oh, let's go. Let's Thank go. You. Let's go do some voyeur. So let's go peek in uh, in Cameron's window. Where's yeah, that? Absolutely. <laughs> this is the most wonderful thing of all, in a way. And this whole three universes and three blocks is the right here in the corner of um, Sacramento. And uh, Joyce is the Cameron House, and this is where Donald Dina Cameron who was the great, uh, the avenging angel of Chinatown, as she was called. And she saved thousands of young girls and women, Chinese young girls and women, from sex slavery. And uh, one of the great shocking horrors of San Francisco history. And uh, at, at, at risk to her own life, you know, bomb threats and threats of violence and having to hide girls, you know, away from angry, you know, angry uh, brothel owners and enraged uh, businessmen, you know, it was just a really a labor of love and went on for decades. So she was really one of the great uh, heroines in, uh, in the history of the city. I've been, I've interviewed the people to run this place and been in her bedroom 
It's right there. It's on the second story facing the alley. Is that the corner? Uh, I think it's the corner. If I remember correctly, it's the corner. Gotcha. I think it's two windows probably. And it was very sweet when she was about 65 or so. Uh, one of her beloved assistants, I believe, a Chinese woman, a Chinese-American woman, uh, announced, oh, we've redecorated your room and we've put a nice rug in. And, you know, she lived such a Spartan existence that she had never really done that. And they just gussied up her room a little bit. But <laughs> that was a, a touching thing. But I'm, I also, it's my understanding that this building is built out of what are called clinker bricks. Which is what I wanted to, I hope yeah. you would talk about. Yeah, so clinker bricks are bricks that are discolored and burned by fire. And in San Francisco, the clinker bricks were salvaged from buildings after the 1906 earthquake and fire. So as you know, everything around here, everything in this area was destroyed. Nothing survived. Um, um, but this was, uh, my understanding is that this building was built after 1906, but with uh, using, using bricks from the, uh, that were re re recovered from the fire. So it's kind of a nice metaphor for, you know, this building mm -hmm. of something that's gone through an apocalypse, considering the, 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 a lot of the girls and young women that she saved, um, this is a, this life was a death sentence. You know, these were, like, if you, there were kind of various levels of sex slavery, but if you were at the bottom level, you were pretty much taking on all comers and you might start at age 12 or 14, and in six or eight years, you'd have a venereal disease, you'd be just, and then they'd just basically throw you away. They'd put you in these rooms with a bowl of rice and a candle, and like when the candle burned out and the rice was gone, you were just left in there to die. And um, so it was a really horrific uh, thing. And some of the women, you know, made it work for them some, it wasn't like all, you know, there's a, there's some agency with these women as well, but it was not, it was not a good thing. And it was mostly overwhelmingly coercive or undertaken to pay off like parental debts. Mm -hmm. Some of the young girls who, they almost all came from China and they were either hoodwinked or forcibly kidnapped or sold. Um, and it was, you know, the ugly underside of a, extreme sexism of Confucian um, culture that the, the women, hey, bound feet, you know, the, the women were not, were not highly valued. No, no. So girls would be sold to pay off gambling debts. I mean, it's pretty shocking, but yeah. that was the reality in, in, uh, in, in China at that time. And so uh, there was just this huge, uh, it, and it fueled, it fueled the tongs, the criminal tongs who uh, were extremely powerful in Chinatown. And the, the vice rackets were where they made their money. So they made their money on opium, gambling, and prostitution. Mm -hmm. And then that led, those vice rackets led to the massive bloody Tong Wars that went on for decades. And that took, many of which took place on another alley in our book, Waverly Place. Yeah, Waverly. The Tian Hu Temple yeah. overlooks the most famous and picturesque alley in Chinatown, Waverly. Um, and that there was a lot of blood shed on that alleyway uh, because of, because of the, the terrible practice that this uh, remarkable woman you know, helped, to, helped to stamp out.
And Cameron's story was beautifully told recently in Julia Flynn Seiler's yeah. uh, book, The Devil, The White Devil's Daughter, yeah, that's right. yeah, uh, that's right. which I think is yeah. just out on paperback. Yeah. So yeah, she's a right. fantastic local historian, and uh, the book has. And she does you know, a great job uh, of of really highlighting the importance of uh, Cameron's assistant, mm -hmm. um, who a Chinese American uh, woman who was her really her right hand woman for many many years and probably never got her due uh, before uh, uh, Julia Flynn Seiler's book. So that was really, really good that she brought that out. Yeah, and yeah. Well, That's a beautiful building. I've never actually stopped and, and noticed this before. And the bricks are very unique. They do, they just, you know. And they still do. They have social programs for Chinatown now. Yes. Uh, they run, um, you know, everything from summer camps, athletic things, but if abused women or, or you know, social if, if issues, they have uh, counseling and and uh, it's it's a it's a really good outfit. So they're they're continuing the the work here um, in this building. And then the next block is awesome because then we're like fully into Chinatown. All right. I, I have to say I have uh, balcony envy right now because. Uh, I, Joan and I live in a former corner store, which oh. is really cool because yeah. uh, it's a big open space, but it's a one story. It has no like, I'm going to just go out back and like have my coffee in the sun. Right. There's none of that. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Well, I, I live in the Richmond district, so I don't know what sun is. Oh, right. it's, that th it's that thing that makes the fog white and not, okay. and not black. Okay. Yeah. Okay. <laughs> curious. Curious indeed. It's just such an odd street. I know. Yeah, it's actually from here. You can see how uh, uneven it is. You know, it's not graded properly, which gives it a, a charming look. And you can just, yeah, you can see the little rise of the hill there. You know that that's that's going over to the steps. So it's a, you know, it's amazing how the different things we've seen in such a. Sh this is about total distance of about 400 yards. You know, <laughs> since we started. <laughs> Kind of amazing. Uh, yeah, so this kicks off Spirits of San Francisco. And uh, that book's reading when? Do you have a release date? Yeah, it's October 20th. Okay. Um, do you have any uh, events lined up uh, beyond this one? <laughs> you know, are you going to be doing any We've signings? We've got a bunch of virtual events. We've got one at City Lights that's right. coming up. Um, we've got one at the Battery mm -hmm. uh, that's a little bit after uh, in early November. A few Club. Commonwealth Club, we've got one, uh, some other local bookstores, uh, one for West Portal bookstores doing one. Um, so yeah, a few, a few different, uh, few different events, and uh, I'm sure there'll be more, more coming as well. And then Paul, you've got a, a, a massive tome uh, coming out now, or has that released? It actually uh, is released. It was supposed to release in like two weeks, mm -hmm. but apparently it's been shipping. Great. Like people were doing pre-orders, and I'm getting all these notes that people are getting it. So. Yeah, that's an illustrated novel box set of mm -hmm. three volumes. Mm -hmm. Now that's another one I saw and read in Galley, but I haven't, and there were very little illustrations in that. I, I think I only got just a- Oh, in the Galley? Yeah. Really? I didn't oh, get a physical copy, I got oh. an e-Galley. Oh, that's interesting. Yeah. I, I don't think I've seen the e-Galley. Yeah. Uh, there's over a hundred drawings okay. in between those three volumes. And the cool thing is, is each of those books has different covers, different end sheets, mm. different flaps. So, and each has a different uh, set of drawings, so okay. a different aesthetic to mm. them. So I really, I drew differently for each of those mm -hmm. books, uh, different subject matter. 
Uh, so visually, it's just, it's a feast, actually. Yeah. yeah. Uh, and where I, I saw a photo, I think, uh, on social media yesterday, you did a signing, you were doing a little well, bit yeah, of signing. So, Was that um, at a bookstore? Are copies available? Yeah. So Booksmith uh, is doing, they've got that program that Daniel Handler helps set up, mm -hmm. which is like, uh, they'll sell author inscribed copies so people can put in their notes okay. um, and local authors will go there and you know like to margaret whatever gotcha. um, yeah so i did my first signing of those books two days okay. ago so that would probably be a good spot for people to check in with is, is booksmith on hate street yeah, to, to secure I, I, you know i wouldn't want to turn away from green apple either <laughs> who would you know there are a lot of there are a lot of options in the city yeah, these I mean, days it gets hard like you start getting right. to everybody becomes your friend and like yeah. i love all these places yeah, i'm like right. oh it's like feel bad yeah. touting <laughs> one over the sure. other right. but uh you know, i want everybody to do well well right. you know and that's that's the joy of independent book selling is there's right. no competition yeah you know that's nice. i mean yeah. city lights are they're the best friends i mean right. there's no two ways about it they're an extraordinary book selling group right. and, uh, and a great store great san francisco institution so now there's nothing Absolutely. but love so yeah, uh, you know that, no i'm glad to hear that yeah what's good for one is good for all yeah, that's, that's, for sure. That's good to hear. Yeah. Well, congratulations, guys, on Thank really you. a truly Thank successful you, book. I can't wait to get my hands on a physical copy. <laughs> uh, it's definitely going to be, you know, it's going to stay on my shelf forever. So, yeah. Congratulations. Anything else? Um, let's see. Social media stuff. You got a no, website? No, I'm, I'm, I'm totally hopeless at that. So just <laughs> it is what it is. If it's out Go in the world, out. hopefully people will uh, hopefully people will read it. There you go. <laughs> How about you, Paul? Uh, I've got my website, paulmadonna.com, and I do a lot of Instagram and Facebook. And, yeah, I, I'm, and I took a ton of photos, so I'll be, you know, pimping this out. Thanks for listening to this episode of Alfrisco, the SF podcast, which has been a production of the San Francisco Cultural History Museum and brought to you in partnership with Intersection for the Arts and thanks to generous contributions from Owsley Brown and the Minor Anderson Family Foundation. Be sure to visit www.sfcitymuseum.org for links and supplementary photo galleries from this episode, as well as to stay in touch with other SFCHM productions and events. Be sure to be safe out there. And please don't forget to wear your mask.